Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Recent studies have shown that while as many as 90% of Americans say they believe in God, only half of them think of him as a personal God. The other half of Americans believe in God more as an impersonal force if they believe in him at all. This means that only half of our country believes in a God that they think has anything to do with their day-to-day lives. And I guess this isn't all that surprising. Many people, many Christians, unfortunately, go about their lives without any thought, good or bad, about God, toward God, living as if he isn't actually there. This is similar to the beliefs of many of our country's founding fathers, a belief called deism. Deism believes in a a God, a creator of all things, but but not one who is immediately present in your life. They, They believe that God just wound up creation like a clock and then just steps back and watches the universe ticks away all on its own. Now, granted, this is at least better than an atheistic worldview, which believes that we're just all here by happenstance and kind of chaotic chance. But at least deists can can appeal to some kind of order, some kind of morality outside of themselves, but but they lack any kind of trust or comfort that we have, knowing a God who chooses to be close to us or personal to us. Now, we as Christians obviously don't believe this way. The fact that you are here in church indicates that you don't. Yet there may be times in all of our lives that do make us wonder. Since we know that God is not some kind of impersonal force that couldn't care less about me, then why are there times when it seems like that may be true, when it feels that way? Or since I know, <clears throat> since I know God does care for me and is a part of my everyday life, then why do things happen the way that they do? This was the exact situation for the people of Israel when they heard the words of our Old Testament reading from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah was prophesying to a people who would be in exile in Babylon. Their country would be defeated. The city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. The temple would be torn down and they would be far from home. Isaiah even records what they would be saying in those days. My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. Even even though they knew God, the people of Israel wondered why he felt so unconcerned, so distant from them. And that's what makes Isaiah 40 such an amazing chapter of scripture, full of God's promise and uh, comfort. In fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter, it starts very famously. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. So the question that the exiles must have been thinking, will God save us, was being answered with a resounding yes. But still... Another question might have been lingering in their minds. The question, can God save us? 
Is he as powerful as we were led to believe? And if he is as powerful, is he even close enough to intervene in our lives? And if he is close enough, does he even want to be involved? And you see, that's precisely what our Old Testament reading from Isaiah chapter 40 today addresses. God had Isaiah write these words to those exiles in Babylon for a reason, but God also had Isaiah write these words to you and to me as well. Have you ever thought about that, that there's a reason every single Sunday why the Holy Spirit has us here, the readings that he has us here, that there's a reason for these words today? And what beautiful words they are. Isaiah 40 contains some of the most beautiful promises in all of Scripture. And so for the next few minutes, we have the privilege of hearing from our God and considering what he wants us to consider. Particularly, we will think about three things that God wants us to know about him. That he is infinite, that he is immediate, and that he is intimate. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to open up to Isaiah chapter 40, starting at verse 21. And the first thing that we hear is that God is infinite. Like I said, when the Israelites were sitting in exile in Babylon, or when we today are faced with truly difficult moments in life, moments like financial concerns or diseases or even death of loved ones, the temptation may be for us to wonder, well, is God truly Infinite? Is he as big as I've been led to believe? Does he truly have the power to be in control? And Isaiah writes, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Isaiah makes it clear there is no power on earth that can even compare to our infinite God. He is all-powerful. How did it go for Pharaoh in Egypt when he tried to exert his control over God's people in slavery? How did the Canaanites fare when they tried to prevent God's people from entering the promised land? How would Babylon fare as they held God's people in captivity? All of these powers thought that they were in control. And to us here on earth, they look like they're in control. We give earthly leaders so much credit for their seeming control and influence. But what does God say? He is the one who sits above the earth. He is this world's only creator. And he is no more phased by the so-called superpowers of this world than a human being would be phased by an insect. God is infinitely powerful and nothing can thwart his plans, plans for good, plans for our salvation. Nothing on earth, nothing in heaven can stop him. So is our God infinite and powerful? Yes. And can he use his power to save? Yes. But then what about our second question? God can save us, but is he even around? 
What about the prevailing thought of some people in that day, as well as many people in our day, the thought that God is some cosmic clockmaker who has distanced himself from his creation? Well, Isaiah addresses that next. God is not distant. Instead, he is immediate. Again, God says through Isaiah, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So God's answer to our questions about his closeness is for us to look is for us to look up into the night sky and to see the stars and Isaiah calls them the the host of heaven the armies of heaven not only is the god who creates all of them but he is the one who brings each and every one of them out you know it's estimated in our milky way galaxy that there's somewhere between 100 and 400 billion stars we don't even know how many there are that's just our best guess But God knows. God knows each and every one of them. And every night, as their light reaches our planet once again, God is the one who ensures that not one is missing. He has called them all by name. Now that language there is purposely reminiscent of what Isaiah writes in chapter 43, When he says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God knows the name of every single star. God knows the name of every single person on earth. And God knows your name. And he knows mine. And to know a name is to truly know someone, to be right there with and for them. And that's who our God is. He is not a God who is distant from his creation, feeling nothing for or against it. He is the God who is involved with his creation and has chosen to redeem it. And neither is God distant from us, feeling nothing for or against us. He is the God who is involved with us and has chosen to redeem us. He is close. He is near. God is immediate. He is immediately present every day and every night, and we need only look up and be reminded. So, as God says through Isaiah, he is infinite, he has the power to save, and he is immediate, he is near, not distant. But the third, and perhaps most important question, does God care? Or is he simply the impersonal God so many people think he is? When things are difficult, when trouble comes around, and I'm overwhelmed with it all, when there are times when I just don't understand what kind of God is he? And to that question, to those questions, God gives the answer that he is intimately concerned for us. Isaiah writes, why do you say, O Jacob? And speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? 
Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It must have been incredible for the children of Israel to hear that this was the kind of God that they served. When she was a young child, Diane Disney was approached by one of her friends who asked her what it was like to have such a famous father. Now, confused by this, Diane went home and asked her dad what his name was. And Walt Disney replied, honey, you know my name. And Diane said, wait, you're the Walt Disney? (laughs) She knew her dad's name, of course. She even knew and loved the wonderful family-friendly movies that they watched all the time in their home. But she never put two and two together that this famous person... Uh, called Walt Disney, was the same person that she called dad. In a similar way, the same is true for us. We hear this amazing description of God from Isaiah, and we might be tempted to land in the same place as those Israelites who were suffering in Babylon to think that that God, who is all-powerful, almighty, couldn't possibly be the same God who desires to be in a relationship with me. But we hear these words and remember that the same infinite and immediate God who sits above the circle of the earth, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who brings out the host of heavenly stars by number, calling them all by name. This God is our God, the one that we call Abba, Father. And God demonstrated how close he desires to be with us. When he sent us the one who was promised to Israel, when he sent his only begotten son, how much closer, how much more intimate can God be than choosing to become one of us? Think of that small child lying in a manger. Or think of the the 12-year-old Jesus who listened to and obeyed his parents in the temple in Jerusalem. Or think of the Savior who, when the time was right, carried out the mission that he had been given to accomplish for all the world to see. That's what we celebrate in the season of Epiphany, isn't it? The revelation of God's Son to the nations, the revelation of God's intimate love for you and for me and for the entire world. Our gospel reading today shows us just how close God was willing to get. How close he was willing to come to Simon Peter's mother-in-law, for instance, that he takes her by the hand and, and heals her fever and lifts her up. And then by sundown, he was surrounded by, by many people who were sick or, or oppressed by demons, and he heals them all. And then the next morning, when everyone was looking for him, Jesus tells Simon, let us go on to the next town and the next town and the one after that, for that is why I came out. This is why Jesus came to us, that he would continue his mission all the way to the cross to heal this sin-sick world and to heal you and to heal me. 
to take our burdens of sin that would otherwise cause our eternal death and carry them away by laying down his life for us. Jesus has drawn so incredibly close to us that even when we may faint or grow weary, even when we in our own strength fall exhausted, our infinite, immediate, and intimate Savior renews our strength so that we can mount up like with wings like eagles, so that we can run and not be weary, so that we can walk and not faint. With Jesus, we never have to worry that our way is hidden from the Lord or that our right would be disregarded by God. Instead, with Jesus, we know that our God is the God who journeyed through the cross for us, through death and through the grave itself, so that we might always know that he is for us. He has redeemed us. He has called us by name. And we are forever his. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.